0: Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. westchestercfc.com. Last week we saw part of the conversation Jesus had with a man who we know of as the rich young ruler. Where we see this man running up to Jesus in the streets and he bows down before Jesus in reverence. And he wants to know what good deed that he has to do in order to receive eternal life from God. And as we saw a week ago, there's at least three things that we know about this man, the rich young ruler. Obviously, first, he's rather young, which is the Jewish way of saying that he's not quite 40 years old yet. We also know that he had some kind of a royal honor and position of some sort. Lastly, we also know that he wasn't just merely rich, but he was extremely, vastly wealthy as a person. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 19. And so Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And he said to Jesus, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And so Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And yet then Mark reveals about the rich young ruler that disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around at his disciples and he said to them, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And so as we see this conversation that Jesus has with the rich young ruler, this is by far one of the most saddest cautionary tales that we find anywhere in the gospel books. There are many others who had such conversations with Jesus, and in the course of these conversations it became conversions. And yet that is not at all what is happening, at least on this particular episode, This is just a conversation that Jesus is having with another person. And you know, as we think about the rich young ruler, I mean, again, I mean, what is there not to love about this guy? He's young, and there's nothing wrong with being young. He's religious, and there's nothing wrong about being religious. He has some kind of a political position of power, and there's nothing wrong with having a position of power. He's got money and possessions, and there's nothing wrong with having money and possessions. And yet, as we all know by now about the rich young ruler, though, what truly matters, though, is what is going on in our hearts. What is going to ultimately matter in the very end, as well as what matters now, is what we are living for above everything else in this world. And I feel that the reason why the rich young ruler stands apart along with with a handful of others as this tragic figure of time and of history is because of his relationship with his possessions and his dependency upon stuff, as we would say it. I think we could also say it like this, is that the rich young ruler, despite of all of the nice things that he has, he is possessed by his possessions. And I think outsiders would have looked at him as being a man who owns all of this cool stuff. But what is being revealed and exposed to us on the page of the Word of God this morning is that in so many ways, his stuff was owning him. And I mean, the description that Mark gives of him could have been etched on his tombstone, where it says, for he had great possessions. Now in our series on many of the demonic encounters of the scriptures that we saw up to about last month. We saw many people who had great possessions. And yet as we read about the rich young ruler though, this is a guy who had entirely other kind of great possession. As we see materialistic possession and having a disease of greed, Having that unquenchable lust of more and more and more and more and more and more and more more can really be just as destructive and as corrosive to the human soul as the evil spirit's words to so many people in the gospel books. And yet, you know, whenever we speak about the rich young ruler, though, he is a personality that really haunts me. The reason why the rich young ruler haunts me is because whenever he is described to us as a man having great uh, possessions, and we read about him as being a very rich and a very wealthy individual, I stop seeing a rich young Hebrew ruler, and I begin seeing myself as the rich young American. I mean, if we really stop and consider it, I mean, what exactly did the rich young ruler have after all? He had a dozen donkeys, perhaps. Maybe nine or ten or eleven oxen. He had a coat of many colors, perhaps. Maybe two or three purple tunics. Maybe he lived in a 1,200 square foot home. Or maybe he had a servant who would go to the well and draw water for him bring it to his house so he would never have to draw water on his own strength. I mean, as we look at the rich young ruler, here's a guy who never had a television. And yet I've got two televisions. He didn't have access to a dishwasher, to a refrigerator, to, to a washer or to a dryer, but I do. He never owned an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod or a DVD or a 401k. And yet so many of us do. And I can assure you that the donkey that he used riding into town was a whole lot slower than the Hyundai Elantra that got me here this morning at 40 miles per hour. You know, whenever I read about the rich young ruler, I always picture and envision Jesus turning his attention away from that man and looking at me in this vast empire of great possessions that I have accumulated in my lifetime. I imagine him looking at me and looking at us as being even wealthier than the rich young ruler himself. If we consider Will Smith, for example, Will Smith has a net worth roughly at $350 million. I mean, that's a lot of money. We think about Elon Musk, who it changes every second of the day, but his net worth most recently has been estimated at $296 billion. Billion. $296 billion. Now, a couple of days ago, I crunched numbers, and I had realized what my net worth was. And I realized, I, I arrived at a discovery that my net worth, it's a rough estimate, but it's at approximately... $3.25. And that's a whole lot higher than I thought it was going to be. But, but even though I've got a net worth of $3.25, as I look around at all of the stuff that I have as an American, 21st century American person, the more that I see and I recognize that, that I am richer than the rich young ruler himself and as insanely blessed people with as many possessions as we have this morning, there are so many enticements out there. Especially now in the holiday season, isn't there? Where either on the radio or on even YouTube at times, on TV, whatever it is, we are bombarded with all of these commercials that it doesn't matter what you have right now, you can get so much more in your life. You just do not have enough stuff in your life, but rather you need more and more and more stuff. We see one commercial and it says, why would you want to hold on to that iPhone 10 when for just $499.99 you can upgrade to the iPhone 13? Don't just buy a pickup truck on another commercial. You need the F3 trillion King Ranch edition of that truck. then. Everybody in your whole entire neighborhood will be jealous of you. You need to get this larger and more expensive truck instead. And as we look at our American culture, I mean, what does it say about our society when the celebration of Christmas quickly morphed into a celebration of capitalism, of record profits, When as early as September on some years, there are Christmas trees lining store aisles. When just hours after America says how grateful we are for all that we have, we watch the news and at 2 o'clock in the morning, people are getting into fistfights at Best Buy over a toaster in order to save $3 on a DVD of My Cousin Vinny. And I mean, as Americans, we just have so much stuff. And if we are not being formed every single day in prayer, if we are not constantly reminding our own selves that that everything that we own comes from God and belongs to God, like the rich young ruler, we too can be possessed by that which we are possessing. And we can so easily become slaves to the master of more and more and more and more. And I mean, in so many ways, this is what is happening to the rich young ruler. And isn't it remarkable that he's having a one-on-one conversation with God in the flesh himself. Jesus Christ himself is standing there saying, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, here is how it is going to happen. And yet another statement that Mark makes that is so tragic to our eyes is that as he learned of this, he was disheartened by the cause. As we see in our text, as Jesus explains how to possess eternal life, he begins to speak about the Ten Commandments of Exodus chapter 20. As we may recall, the very first of those Ten Commands have to do with man's relationship with, with God. And the last six of those commands is about man's relationship with, with each other. And what I find very interesting is that Jesus makes no mentioning of the first four commandments here. But rather, he is only emphasizing those those, um, commands that have to do with the rich young ruler's relationship with other human beings. And so Jesus says, honor your father and mother. He says not to murder or to commit adultery or to steal or to bear false witness. And the rich young ruler perks right up. And he said, teacher, I have honored all of these since I was a boy. And it says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love in his heart for him. And that really shows us about the love of God, that that even though Jesus knows exactly what's about to unfold, looking at him, he's like, yes, you have kept those commands. And yet there is a matter of his heart, though, that, that he doesn't yet realize fully. And it is a serious problem in his soul. And what that problem is, is his relationship with the last of those Ten Commandments. Which we all know of as, you shall not covet. I find it very interesting though in in Mark chapter 10 that, notice very carefully in verse 19. Jesus never says, you shall not covet. but, But rather what he says is, you shall not defraud. In other words, Jesus is interpreting do not covet as do not defraud. And I believe that is because, in a sense, there happens to be a wealth that belongs to each and every person under the sun in the world. When Jesus took six 30-gallon jars and he filled it up to the brim with the most expensive, wonderful wine anybody had ever tasted before, That wine was not just for a few people inside that wedding, but rather it was for every single person who was there. That extravagant, lavish, overflowing of a gift was was for everybody. Likewise, as Jesus feeds a vast multitude of people, it wasn't just just for a few people, but rather as everybody's having seconds and thirds and fourths with with twelve basketfuls left over, This was a lavish outpouring of God that was for everybody who was there. And so what we see so many times in the miracles and in the providence of God is that God is a God of lavish surplus abundance. And yet man far too often has a desire to to hoard all of that lavishness for themselves. And this, in so many ways, is what the rich young ruler lacks. And where his spirituality is, it has a deficiency. Like so many people in the world of today, especially in 21st century America, he is captive to the spirit of economic self-interest. And for so many people, this is the absolute greatest deterrent to entering into the kingdom of God. It's rather interesting here that the word defraud in the original Greek language literally means to keep away from another person or to deprive another person of what rightfully belongs to them. And so what we hear Jesus saying is to him, he says that that if you wish to inherit eternal life, if you wish to forever dwell peacefully in the presence of God and to have spiritual life he says, I want you to take all of these wonderful possessions of yours. And I want you to have a yard sale. You know, take all of these possessions and get them up on eBay and sell all of them. Give all, of, all the money that you make and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure, Jesus says. And I mean, as soon as this falls upon the ears of the rich young ruler, as soon as he hears it, his heart plummets. And he knows it in his bones that this is a deal breaker. That what Jesus is saying here about entrance into his kingdom, it is simply too astronomical. And that's because he was possessed by his possessions and disheartened by the cost. And I mean, sadly, this is not at all like, like the story of Zacchaeus. Or as he also has a conversation with Jesus as a very rich man, Zacchaeus, as we might remember, said, I'm giving half of what I own to the poor right now, no questions asked. And if I've defrauded anybody of anything in my my career, I I will return it, I will make restitution four times in return. That is not at all what is going on with the rich young ruler here. But rather, this is a story about a man who who hears how to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but who drops his head. And who slowly walks away from Jesus as if he were coming home from a funeral. His heart is drowning in sorrow. And it's rather worth noting that the word sorrowful in the original Greek, Greek language means in at least one occasion, pains that a woman feels as she gives birth to a child. We also need to understand that this is not a universal blanket command that that everybody literally has to sell everything that they own and give everything to the poor. But rather his possessions and his economic self-interest just happened to be what his specific stumbling block was that was preventing his entrance into the kingdom of God. And even though Jesus speaks about money as as he says it, whatever is blocking our entrance into fully entering to God's kingdom, Jesus says that nobody can serve two masters. That either he's going to love one and, and hate the other, or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. In one instance, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. And no matter what it is that is blocking us from, from fully embracing God's kingdom in us, Jesus also says it is impossible to serve both God and, and whatever it happens to be. And yet our, our encouragement this morning, though, is, is what he offered to this rich young ruler. For all of us who are still walking in this world, living in this world, in Mark's words, he says, sell your treasures. He tells this guy who has all of these great possessions, sell your treasures and then you will have treasure. And I mean, this is exactly what Jesus is inviting us to in the Sermon on the Mounds. Where he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, store up and and accumulate for yourselves treasures, spiritual treasures that nobody could ever take away from you, no matter what. And there's a scene in the movie Heat that always comes to my mind, where Robert De Niro is schooling Al Pacino. Robert De Niro is a professional thief. And at one point what he says to Al Pacino is, a guy told me one time, Don't ever let yourself get so attached to anything that you're not willing to walk away from it in 30 seconds flat. Now, I I realize that that is a reference to a professional thief who's speaking about million-dollar heist and about not getting caught, not going to prison. And yet, as it pertains to our possessions, though, and about all of this stuff that we have, that is absolute sage advice for us. Of don't ever let ourselves get so attached to anything in this world that we cannot walk away from it within 30 seconds, no matter what. Or as a friend of mine once said so well, stop seeking more and start seeking what is essential. And so as we come to the end of yet another year, And as we step back and look at all of the stuff that has made its way inside of our our houses, I just want to challenge us this morning as we close. When we go home this afternoon, I want us all to look in our house and to search for a surplus. I want us to look for something that we just aren't using. It's got cobwebs in the basement, perhaps. It's in the closet. It's been years ever since we've actually used it. And for some of us, it might be six or seven coats in our coat closet. Others of us, it might be 90 pairs of shoes, 12 sports jerseys, whatever it happens to be. Choose at least one item in our house and either give it away or go on eBay and sell it. And if it makes money, give all of the proceeds to the poor. And if we do this, I I absolutely promise you, if we do this, we are going to feel happier and more alive than we have in a very long time. And that's because when we empty ourselves of the things below, we are filled in so many ways with the things above. And I leave you with this thought this morning. In April of this year, I did The Unimaginable One Day, where I took my enormous record collection, a record collection that included the likes of original editions of Billie Holiday vinyls from 1948 and 1957, a collection that included, as you see here, every single album Frank Sinatra ever made, every single album that The Doors ever released. I had the Beatles and Miles Davis, Ella Fitzgerald, Duke Ellington, David Bowie, the Rolling Stones, you name it, I had it. And so I took this enormous record collection and I called the owner of a music store not far away from here in Philadelphia. And with the exception of just maybe seven or maybe eight records, I sold him all of the rest of my record collection. And here's what I noticed, is that as hard as it was at first letting go of all of that music, afterwards as I was walking back into my house, no longer with with all of those thousands of pounds of records, it felt like the weight of the whole universe had been lifted off of my shoulders. I felt so alive and unshackled that it was as if I was floating back inside of the house. And yet more than anything, though, I noticed that I was not walking away sad, grieving in my soul, but but rather the only tears that I had in my eyes were tears of absolute happiness and of being overjoyed. And just the thought of hundreds and hundreds of people finding those rare vinyl records and being made glad by it, it just brought me a greater happiness than they ever could have brought me when, when they were all laying on my shelf my brothers and sisters, when we sell the world and we invest in heaven, we never, ever, ever are going to walk away sad. Less is not less, but rather less is so much more. So as we close this morning, let us all stop seeking what is more and more and more, and let's seek what is essential.